You're listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. This guy up on the slide for me, uh, Bryce, Dave Mitchell. He saw it too. Dave Mitchell. He's kind of washed out in that picture. He's a math teacher in Kitchener, Ontario, in Canada. He saw this exact moment and he made a video of it, so I had to share it with you. So you can see Venus shining above the beautiful moon. Has trippy music, too. If, we can, if we'll hear it, we'll see. Short video, don't miss it. Oh, that was it, that's the sound, though, that's it. It's like that space sound. Hit it! There it is, that's Venus up there. And there's the close-up. There's the even closer up. That's what I saw with Deja. Yes. That's it. It's the whole video. But I love that he, it was January 1st, 2017. I Googled it, and that's what came up. This is what it looked like. And I wanted to share it with you because I had this realization that, you know, I had to be still. And I had to look at it for a long time to figure out what it was. And then I got the opportunity to share with Deja, hey, check it out. That's a planet. And I got to tell her all the things that I knew about planets and why that was a planet. And uh, I got to share my joy with her. It, it took a minute to, to have that little realization. And I think that's what's going on with uh, epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation. You know, when you have an epiphany, it's kind of in, in the general understanding of the word, it's kind of like, aha, I get it. So I, ha I had that in it. But with Venus, it took me a minute. I had to get still for a minute. A little parable here. Had to get still. Had to look at it for a long time and decide, yes, that is a planet. And I didn't know it was Venus. I know nothing about the charts of the stars and all that. I had to look it up. But uh, Dave, Kitchener, Dave Mitchell in Kitchener knew about it. And he even took a video through his telescope. Love that man. Sometimes you have to look a long time to figure out, is that really new? Is that really something that I should like tell someone about? Is, is something really happening in this moment that's worthy of my full attention? Usually the answer to that is yes. But it takes some time to, to see and to let it sink in that, yeah, this is really happening. This is new. This might be an epiphany. And so we come to the wise men. Because they were looking at stars, and that's why... I was looking at stars. I, I want to be a wise man. Uh, and in Matthew 2, we, we hear their story that there were, there were men in the east. We don't know who they were, how many they were, just like I said to the kids. And they saw this star appear. And it was enough of a weird thing that they decided that they would take the long journey to get to Jerusalem. Maybe they had studied some of the ancient texts that they had gotten from their neighbors, the Hebrews. You know, the stories of uh, the prophecy about Jesus, some of them are hundreds of years old at that time. So they could have gotten around. Maybe they think, okay, you know, because when they get to Bethlehem, they ask, where's the king of the Jews? Where is this king that we're looking for? 
Can you imagine what it takes to be looking at the stars and ancient scrolls to figure out when this new thing appears? I'm going to like mobilize all my resources and take a long journey to find out what's at the end of the rainbow. It's kind of like, it's it's foolhardy uh, and also really amazing. And when they get there to Israel, of course, they go to the palace because it's the king they're looking for. And they find Herod, who's the supposed king, the, the puppet king of the Roman Empire. And he kind of he kind of plays into the game. He's like, okay, all right, let me consult with my magi, with my wise people. Where is the king of the Jews to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem, not in the seat of power, but in tiny little Bethlehem. That's in the scriptures. It's in the prophets. And so Herod says, okay, when you go, when you find him, come back and tell me about it. I want to know, and I, so I want to worship him too. But the wise men hear from God on their way to find Jesus, and they know that Herod is a phony and that he does not want to worship Jesus. In fact, he's uh, scared of the power of anyone who would uh, take his, and they go home by another way. They take the long way around the sea uh, instead of going back down through Jerusalem and across the Jordan. They go up and around to avoid Herod. And Herod finds out about this, and he's furious. And he kills all of the male babies to and under in Bethlehem. And we get a little bit, we can do a little math from that and understand the the magnitude of the journey that they had taken, that it might have taken as long as two years from the time the, the, the star appeared, which we might say is the beginning of Jesus's life, the birth, the star appears, And it takes them two years to come and find him. So most likely Jesus is a toddler. We don't know. But something, there's some kind of overlap here. So it's good that the Magi happen a whole two weeks later uh, after Christmas because they weren't there at the manger. Though it is nice in the manger scenes to have everyone there together. And it's symbolic, not accurate. The thing about the Magi story that I want to highlight tonight, and the thing that usually pops out to me, is the that they just paid attention for so long. They knew enough about stars and 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 planets, maybe, to know that that new thing over there, that light, that's a new thing. It's never occurred ever. It's an anomaly. It's a miracle. Um, Or maybe it was a first time in recorded history comet. I don't know. But they they knew enough beforehand to go and follow. They paid enough attention. They looked long enough at the sky to see something new, to have an epiphany. And then they get the epiphany of epiphanies. This is God born as a human being, and they worship him. They bring their gifts, and they worship him. They were in on something. Something pushed them across the desert on those camels, probably. Something got them through that long journey. They were, they were, they were kind of crazy to look that long and then to, to act on what they saw. Now, to have your own epiphany, which is what I'm, I'm hoping to inspire in the next 15 minutes, is you might think you have to like become an astronomer 
or like become some kind of expert or some kind of wild person, some kind of super duper holy person or something, if you're going to have an epiphany like the son of God in a manger. And if that's your goal, you're probably right. Uh, that, That goal is too high. But that doesn't mean you can't see God. Because that moment where the, the, the three strangers are at the birth of Jesus, the, the king of the Jews, the light of the world, is a symbolic moment that Matthew was sure to not let us miss. That now God is manifest to the whole world. And even in all of the world. It's not just isolated to, uh, you know, Jerusalem. It's even in Bethlehem. It's not isolated just to the people of Israel. It's to these Persian people. And we find in the rest of the story of the New Testament that, yes, that expansion keeps happening. And it makes total sense that in Pensacola, New Jersey, the light of the world would be shining in us and we would be on holy ground because we're on ground. The earth is made holy by the presence of the Holy One. Put that slide of Elizabeth Barrett Browning up there for me, Bryce. She writes this long poem and has this great line. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees it takes off his shoes. The Magi are the, the ones who saw how the world was and they took off their shoes. Yeah, this baby in a manger here, this nobody, is the somebody. And they knew it, and they essentially took off their shoes. What, what Elizabeth Barrett Browning, this uh, romantic poet, is telling us is she's, she's quoting from or referencing Exodus 3, where Moses sees the burning bush, and God is made manifest to Moses and, and says, take off your shoes where you're standing is holy ground. When Moses first sees the burning bush, he's out uh, tending his sheep, and he, he, uh, he sees it, and then he says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush that is burning is not burned up. We're, we're doing that kind of turning aside and looking. That's where I think we're going to find our epiphanies if we look long enough. Like I was looking at Venus long enough to figure out what the heck it was. Or like the Magi, we're looking long enough at the sky to see the new thing in it. Earth is crammed with heaven because heaven got crammed. I'm sorry, earth is full of heaven because heaven crammed itself into earth. Even the, the tiny baby Jesus. Somehow that's real. Somehow that's true. And out of that, we can then see heaven being manifest. Epiphanies all around us. From the beginning until now. So here's an example of an epiphany that I had this week. It, it, it went from... It came out of looking for a long time at the life of my my friend Liesl Baker. Uh, she died this week at age 81, and when I was 13, I became her dog walker. Uh, it was a great job. 
uh, for a 13-year-old to have. One, because it was a job. And two, Liesl Baker was an amazing woman who I learned just how uh, generous and inclusive she was at her funeral. Uh, that the, the thing that struck me when I was at her funeral, people were telling stories about her, was that I knew her. Hadn't, hadn't spent much time with her in the past 10 years. But I knew her from when I was a teenager. And I, I, I was suspicious of my teenage self and that person's capacity to know anyone. Aren't all teenagers self-obsessed and incapable of real relationship? No, they are not. I wasn't either, but I thought I was. Kind of as my 30-year-old self, that's 30-something in case you're doing it. Uh, My 30-something self, uh, I thought I'd gotten real good at relating by now. But in fact, I was good at relating when I was 14. And probably because Liesl Baker was really good at relating. And she was, she was ready to, to show herself and who she really was to the 14-year-old uh, that walked her dog and changed her light bulbs. And I didn't really notice that until I spent a couple hours listening to stories about Liesl. We got together and we looked at Liesl for a long time in a way that you probably only can after someone has died. You know, you can't, you can't look at a living person in the way we were with her. We were remembering her uh, with such intensity that it would be uncomfortable to do that with a living person. I guess they do it in Comedy Central on a roast or something like that, but of course it's a twisted version of it because you're just tearing someone down. So I, I learned that I was, my epiphany was I could relate. I've always, I've been, I'm a human being. I can relate. Even, even when I didn't think I was good at it. Even when I wasn't an expert at relating like I think I am now. That type of meditation on Liesl Baker in this instance is the type of paying attention that I think we need to do if we're going to see every bush aflame. I have to look long enough to see if it's on fire. Because it it's not going to happen like it did for Moses all the time. That, that's, that got, that's like Bible stuff. Bible-worthy stuff happens, you know, once in a few millennia. And in the meantime, we are looking for opportunities to take off our shoes and realize how holy the ground is that we're walking on. You know, that uh, something really holy about having your, your bare feet. Uh, it's interesting that that would be a way that the, the people of Israel were going to worship we're going to recognize the sacredness. I think it has to do with being small, uh, being a, a child. It's the last time I ran around a ton with no shoes on, figuring out how I could go everywhere without shoes on. I didn't want to be confined by them. I want to be connected to the earth. Um, now I'm wearing giant boots that are dirty and covered with salt. If I wanted to be comfortable... I'd probably take these off. And that's another thing about it. It's not just the honor that you're showing. You, you have friends that um, are like a no-shoe house. Everyone has this friend. It makes, it makes the encounter at that house just like instantly more intimate. And I, you know, honestly, I hate it when I get to a, a no-shoe house that I don't know is a no-shoe house because if I took these boots off right now and we're going like to hang out, it might be a little stinky. They're like rubber, you know? 
so I like to, I like to be prepared, but I do I do instantly feel um, intimate. Yeah, we don't have our shoes on. <laughs> our, our our feet are only separated by one, you know, thin layer of cotton. Um, I think that that's what's what's happening. It's 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 both the 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 recognition. Uh, we're not going to sully this ground with whatever we were walking on before. But then also, it's that intimacy, that connection, that God is asking us to have when we would what like take off our shoes in some symbol of, writ, of, of worship, of recognition. So some other examples that I, you know, shorter ones that, I, that, I, that I've seen recently of, of taking these long looks to see something new. I don't, I don't know if this one's it's spiritual, at all, spiritual at all, but this morning Oliver told me that the, uh, the bird was dead we have these uh, birdhouses on the lake where we live, and uh, it's kind of down far away. And he said, that bird was on top of that, that bird feeder yesterday. I think it froze solid. I'm like, wow, that's a really good observation. Let me look at this bird for five minutes to make sure <laughs> it, it's, it's dead. And I think he was right. And I was amazed because it was, it was far away. But there's this just little, little bird over there, and it's not moving at all. I want to climb up the pole and take a closer look. But I looked at it for five minutes through the binoculars, and I didn't see it move at all. So I think it's dead. That's an epiphany. That bird is dead. You could find meaning in that, but it takes a long time to see some things, to verify. This meeting is a time for that kind of looking. Uh, Maybe you will see some things that are dead, uh, and, and, and seeing them could bring them back to life. But more so, this is a, a, a weekly opportunity for meditation. We're going to look together at God, look at ourselves in God's presence. And yeah, it's like an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half long. What I'm doing right now, this talk, the goal is to look together. And yeah, my, you know, it, it takes a little while. We have to meditate on this. We have to like turn it over in our in our heads and our hearts to see what's going on. Our cells are like that too. The the weekly discipline we're gathering around Jesus, and we're going to see what happens. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of repetition. Got to look. I don't know what's going on in my life, but I do know after doing it for a while that it works. That. We don't have to be experts of the faith or experts at anything to look a long time at the galaxy of our own heart and the, the galaxy of our own relationships. There's just so much amazing things that can happen just in being together that uh, I'm ready to, to look a real long time. And I'm not going to get bored. I'm going to try to see, really see what's happening. And it just takes time. In my cell meeting this week, Poppy was showing pictures. Um, Poppy's my cell host, and she was showing pictures, and she said, I don't know how you can look at this picture of a sunset behind Mount Hood, which I think is in Oregon we looked up, and say, there is no God. Like, I, I mean, there are people like that. that. People do that, but I don't know how they do it. This is Poppy. 
you know, we looked for, and so we looked for a long time. We all looked at the picture that she had of Mount Hood. We passed her phone around the whole circle, and we looked at it, and we were all quiet. We had this little moment of awe at Mount Hood. Had to look, you know. Had had to had to check with her where God was in that. It takes a long time, for example, to uh, figure out what's going on in your relationship with your spouse. You have to look a long time, and if you do, you're going to see all kinds of stuff. It doesn't just have to be with a spouse. Any any intimate relationship with, with you with, that you have, a brother, uh, a mother, a father, a sister, uh, a, a close friend. These relationships, there's just so much going on inside of them, and you'll see if you look at them long enough that there are, there are definitely things to be learned. When we make a, a marriage vow, just as an example, uh, we're, we're, we're taking a vow to learn that other person for as long as they're alive. Just keep learning who they are and who they're becoming. And they're going to change a ton. And we're all so complicated just by being the beautiful human beings that we are that we will continually learn new things. And some of them will be very difficult to, to keep looking at. We'll want to turn away. But it's that kind of long looking that we need because we could just get stuck kind of on the surface. And I'm just, this is how it is for all of our relationships. But the, the marriage relationship is kind of the easiest to riff on. But we could just get caught on the surface and just kind of let things happen. We're, we're happening together. We're not really seeing one another. And uh, if we look long enough and, and take the time, we'll see more. Have an epiphany. Oh, that's what she thinks when I do that. That's how she feels when I say that. So what stops us from, from looking for a long time at all these, these things? What, what keeps us from kind of averting our attention or not, kind of, not putting the energy in to, to, to see for long enough? You can take Elizabeth Barrett off there. Obviously, overstimulation. Uh, we are incredibly stimulated. Uh, we have flickering lights in our meeting space that could just be ways to, to be distracted. But more so, we have uh, tons of media, tons of story, tons of other people we could invest in that we don't even know. We're encouraged all the time to uh, know everything about the people that we're idolizing. We, uh, I saw someone on the uh, internet talking the other day about how the the pleasure center in our brain gets activated when we get like a like on our Instagram picture because it's it, it feels good and there's a there's a, a dopamine reaction in the brain that's the same uh, reaction that we we have like when we're uh, using a substance that 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 gets activated and so the fix the the same kind of patterns that are happening in the brain so easy to get addicted to that instant gratification oh i am i am liked i am uh somebody my my selfie uh, has 15 comments on it uh that that is a a definite habit forming thing 
and it, and it happens to a lot of us all the time to get kind of stuck on it. I'm going to keep talking about that like every week, our addiction to our technology because it's just such a uh, an anti-long look kind of thing. You can't take a long look if, you're, if your pocket is buzzing. To put your phone across the room sometimes, like a lot, to actually be present to the people that are around you, to uh, yourself, to anything that's going to catch your attention for long enough to see something new in something that is mundane. It's not going to just be new because it is new. An epiphany is something that is new because uh, there's something that was, wasn't, wasn't there before. Something got uncovered. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to uncover something. Another thing that I think that stops us from taking a long look this time of year especially is uh, depression. Uh, it's dark and everyone is isolated because it's cold as all get out. And it's hard to mobilize yourself to get to your cell meeting or to hang out with friends downtown because who wants to, to, to do that at this time of year? And then also some people even have biological uh, re- responses to the, the change in, uh, in light and they have a seasonal affective disorder. They're, the depression that they suffer from all the time kind of always seems to come back in December. So we have to keep the light burning, this, this, this candle at the center. Lots of things beyond the ones that I mentioned are going to try to tamp us down, try to put us out. Um, the, it says in Matthew 2 that when the, the Magi saw the star, they were overjoyed. I, I love that line because I think it calls us to, to tending our joy. They, they were joyed about seeing this star. You know, this is amazing. Um, and it's kind of not, unless you're them. I, I, I want for you to have something that is amazing for you because you're you. Something that's, that, that, that you really enjoy just because it catches your eye. I, 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 wanna, I want you to have that kind of tiny something that brings you joy as a way to tend joy in general. Because you kind of need one of those once a millennia lights in the sky to rekindle the flame of joy. But if you tend it, if you tend that fire and keep it burning by, by giving it the space that it needs to, to brighten up on a regular basis, to, to tend the thing, to, to look long at the things that are uh, uh, calling out to you. I think that's how we do it. Savor the good. It takes 15 seconds for a, a, a positive memory to actually have any effect on your wiring. We're wired to see the bad. And so we have to make some special effort to let the good sink in. Savor the good. And telling someone about it is always the best way because then you're re- reenacting that good thing that happened it's not it's not automatic joy it, it unless it's it's tended we'll we'll just sink right back into the winter blues however we uh however we personally express those we won't see the the replenishing joy 
unless we give it space and give it time for it to enliven. It's hard to enjoy anything if you're down. So we need to be aware. Keep looking for a long time because we do want to keep our fire lit so that we can brighten up the world, brighten up each other at least. And together, the whole idea of Circle of Hope is that together we'll shine bright and make a space where others can can see and be seen and have joy. Let me pray for us and then we'll talk back. Whatever it is we see that brings us joy, bring it to our eyes often, Lord. Whatever it is inside of us that is touched or enlivened by the tiny and deep things of life, keep that part of us fresh and keep that fire in us burning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect tab at circleofhope.net.